uh, women in the workforce. And um, imposter mm-hmm. syndrome in, impacts everybody, regardless of socioeconomic status, gender, position in society. Um, but at, at, at the base, it's really this this uh, this feeling of being a fraud, being phony, um, and and feeling like you're going to be found out, and you don't belong uh, where you are, and that you only got there through dumb luck. Hi, I'm Jason Evanish, CEO of Lighthouse, and this is the Creating High Performing Teams podcast. We're here to be the most actionable podcast you'll hear on leadership and management because we want you to become a better leader as soon as you take your earbuds out or take your headphones off as you listen to this show. Today, I have an awesome guest, a longtime friend and fellow Northeastern Husky, Steve Schlafman. He's the coach and founder of Schlafco, a boutique leadership development company that helps early stage founders and VCs increase their consciousness and maximize their potential. Steve has an amazing story as he was previously in New York City VC at one of the top early stage venture firms, and he left the whole profession behind at the prime of his career to coach and advise founders rather than invest them. Today, we're gonna to be talking about what it's like to be a new leader who's learning on the job with a steep learning curve, how to deal with your inner critic and imposter syndrome, hiring and working with people smarter and better than you at their jobs, and avoiding burnout before it's too late. So Steve, thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's, it's always great to, to catch up and, and see you. Absolutely. So as we get started, I think one of the most interesting things about your journey is just the fact that like how you became a coach. So can you maybe share a bit about what motivated you to pursue this over the VC fund you were raising for? What drew you to becoming a coach that now I know has become a very vibrant business Mm -hmm. for you? Yeah. So I, I spent the first decade of my career as an operator at places like Microsoft and the New England Patriots and a number of startups. And then I spent the past decade as a VC at some of the top early stage VC funds in New York. And um, a few things happened while I was an investor. Uh, the first was uh, my wife is a, is a first time founder and I saw directly the challenges that she was having. And as I like to say, that companies are just mm-hmm. complex, uh, are just uh, complex systems filled with people problems. And uh, I, I, <laughs> what I found was I was really gravitating towards the kinds of conversations I was having with her. The second was I have way more friends that are founders than investors. And we were having a bunch of off-the-record conversations, and I noticed they were quite different from the ones that I was having in the boardroom. And frankly, I would emerge (laughs) from these conversations feeling way more energized and connected to those that I was having a conversation with. Uh, I had a, a, Mm -hmm. a, a belief that I had a natural ability to to coach and to to hold space and support these leaders and founders and then i i walked away feeling like i was actually having a bigger impact um and so Mm -hmm. for all those for all those reasons um i i was coach curious and then uh i ultimately (laughs) decided uh, to leave a firm where I was a partner and I was going to have a little bit of time off, almost like a sabbatical. And I was like, oh, well, it's something I've been thinking about for a while. Let's just go try it. That was four years ago. And I, I haven't looked back, but to answer your question more directly, 
um, it's a very, I, I chose to, to be a coach and, and I walked away from a $10 million venture fund. I was, I was raising and, you know, in the fall, um, because it's a very different kind of relationship and there are no power dynamics. Mm -hmm. It's, it's purely a role of, of being a servant. And, uh, I mm -hmm. really love the authentic and deep conversations because I think that's where real change can happen and the ability to really coach the whole person. And as an investor, I didn't feel like that was possible uh, with some of the, the, mm -hmm. the founders that I work with. You know, we, we don't just talk about the things that are going on uh, at work, but also the things outside of work. So um, I really love that ability mm -hmm. to, to work with the whole person. And then finally, just love helping people develop, grow and evolve. And I feel like this is what I was meant to do. And doing it as a coach, I'm able to to really have a much bigger impact than than as a as an investor. That's great. That's great. Yeah, and I can tell you from personally knowing knowing Steve, we we met when we both lived in New York City. Uh, he's the real deal. So I knew when we were starting this podcast, I had to have him on. So really appreciate you making some time to join us today. So so thinking about the actual challenges uh, that that you see pretty commonly. Uh, I know you focus on founders, but I think a lot of it can apply to any manager. And the common pattern I see, having you know been a founder myself off and on over the last ten years, is that you know a lot of founders are thrust into leadership and have to learn the job, which is very similar to a lot of managers in general. So I'm curious, what kinds of problems have you seen happen when you're trying to lead while learning on the job? Yeah. Well, before I jump in, and I, I'll get to that. And, and answer it directly. But yeah. one thing I want the listeners to really understand is that leadership is a skill just like any other, right? It's a muscle, mm -hmm. it's something that you need to practice, and that we all have the ability and the capacity to be a leader if we choose to. Um, and at, mm -hmm. the, at the end of the day, um, this is just like riding a bike, it's just like uh, lifting weights, uh, it, it, it's something that mm -hmm. you can practice and improve on. So I, I, before I jump into all the problems that I frequently see, <laughs> um, just know that, that there is an ability to, to improve when you begin to identify those areas. Now, that said, to me, um, the problems that I often see, I, 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 I think first it starts with communication. Communication is a big one. And so I often see uh, new, new leaders um, not communicating enough, both individually mm -hmm. and collectively. Um, and and what I often say to, to leaders is you, you have to get sick of saying, uh, you, you have to get sick of hearing yep. yourself say the same thing over and over. And even related to that is when you are um, explaining uh, a project or you're trying to scope something, really being clear on what mm -hmm. it is that you expect, because most of the time what I find is a lot of the problems that occur is when not everyone's on the same page. And so I think that's the first one. Um, I, I often see pro leaders get it early, first time leaders getting into issues um, just around avoiding tough tough conversations and being direct. Um, that is a really, yeah. really common problem that I tend to see. 
and there there are there are a whole lot of others, right? And it talks going back to communication yeah. around delivering clear expectations and not setting clear expectations yeah. or when things are due by certain dates, and then you know having having misalignment there. Um, another frequent problem is not uh, managing up or asking for help. Right. And really understanding yeah. like, OK, w w like how much how much help do I really need and how do I go and get it? Uh, and then finally, it's like avoiding yeah. and uh, avoiding sharing bad news is another problem. And so what happens is, you know, they don't want to share bad news. And so these things get bottled up inside and 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 it just delays the the, the time in which we were able to act and, and make change. Yeah, and I think there's like an underlying theme through all of these where, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges of leadership is the fact that you have to lead by example. And so I think one of the big challenges is when you don't do some of these things while you're talking about communication, tough conversations, uh, asking for help, admitting when you need help, um, and like avoiding sharing bad news, like when, you, when that is what you do as a leader, your team, is going to often follow and pick up those same patterns. So if you avoid sharing bad news with your team, they may avoid sharing bad news with you as well. They may also avoid tough topics and they may not ask you for help when they need it either. And all of those things then means that like your, your gaps in knowledge, because this is a skill you can learn, your gaps in knowledge are actually going to uh, uh, multiply across your organization. And so certainly any leader needs to keep this in mind, but especially if you're listening and you're a founder, like you have to realize that like you're, you're building your culture around your behaviors. And so like the sooner you fix and think about addressing some of those, the, the better off mm -hmm. you're going to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there, there's a whole host of other, other problems that, um, that can manifest, you know, a big one is around delegating, um, I frequently mm -hmm. see first time or early leaders having a really hard time delegating. In fact, yesterday I was having a conversation uh, with, with a leader that, who gave one of his directs a, a, an important task and right before the holiday. And they turned around something that just the quality wasn't good. And he was like, OK, I ba basically went mm -hmm. and redid the whole thing. And. Uh, rather yeah. than coaching the employee around like how how to do it and setting the right expectations and what and what's really required, and as a result of it, you know he was like it's the, the holiday I have to go and just do this, but then that I think makes the employee feel like he or she wasn't trusted. They didn't get the benefit of the mm -hmm. learning around what they could have done, and so. I think that's Correct. just a perfect example of how um, how how like delegation can be can ultimately you're trying to delegate, but then at the end of the day, it's not done well, and then you end up trying to take it on yourself. But then nobody gets the learnings, <laughs> and then the culture gets damaged because there's a lack of trust. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, speaking of, of trust, like how do you find? what do you find works for people to get more comfortable with communication, especially kind of some of the tougher parts of, you know, I think it's probably a little bit easier to tell people, Hey, you know, when you're talking about a value or a thing that's important to you, repeat it until you're sick of it. And you start to hear your team repeat it. Uh, I found most people can eventually get that concept, but what's harder is when you start saying, 
how to get people more comfortable with communication from the side of giving some uncomfortable feedback, like maybe telling that person, hey, the, the caliber of this work wasn't up to par, here's what needs to get better, um, or just delivering bad news, uh, which can take many forms. Um, what do you find helps people get a little more comfortable with realizing they need to actually lean into that kind of stuff instead of lean mm -hmm. away? Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a great question. So I have uh, studied and trained with the Conscious Leadership Group. Um, I, I love their work, mm -hmm. Jim Detmer and Diana Chapman. And, you know, I'm, I'm about to finish uh, a 12 month certification with them. And, you know, I, I, I think that being able to deliver really tough, uh, feedback is, is an art, but it's all, it's a, it's a, it's probably one of the most important skills that a leader can develop. And, um, I think the way that it starts is the leader has to set the tone and create a culture where mm -hmm. uh, where where your where your your employees are encouraged to to share um, how 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 they're feeling what they're observing and so to to just to to, to be blunt like you know a we I, there are two frameworks that I love from conscious leadership group they they took them. Uh, I think from uh, Gay and Katie Hendricks of of um, the Hendricks Institute, but the first is unarguables, right? And what are the things that you mm -hmm. can't argue? You can't argue how I'm feeling. You can't argue mm -hmm. what I'm thinking. It doesn't mean that um um like the content is 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 perfect, but it, it's my experience yeah. that I'm having. Right. And so uh, yeah. related to that is distinguishing between fact and story. This is a big one. Mm -hmm. And um, really, like I, I work with clients where I have on one column, it's fact and the other is story. And I say, go and write down all the facts related to this and then go write all. And in yep. fact, being defined as something you can observe with a video camera or a recorder. Where story yeah. are all the things that are, are nebulous, that, that are judgments, opinions, things of that nature. And then once you do that, when you start to look at the facts, say, how, what's the impact of this? And so by doing that, you're now able to distinguish, okay, this is what's really going on here. These are the things I'm telling myself. There might be some gaps in mm -hmm. my understanding, and here's the impact. I, I might not trust you as much. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I don't, yep. I can't depend on you, whatever it is. And now you can start to say, oh, now I know what's actually going on. And it, it allows you to start mm -hmm. to communicate it because you've, it's no longer wrestling or like whirling around in your head. You've had a chance to write it down and synthesize it and say, okay, like this is the impact. Mm hmm. Yeah, I love that. Um, I remember I had a boss who he and I had very different communication styles. And one of the things that helped was uh, uh, the concept of nonviolent communication, which is a, a lot of what you're talking about with the kind of like facts and stories um, and the, the unarguables in particular, because there was literally like a formula they gave you of like, I feel X when Y happens. And then I, there was like one of the parts of the phrase. But the, the point was that you were basically saying that like, you know, hey, I feel frustrated when I get assignments last minute and I don't have time to properly put the right amount of effort in. And it's like, well, 
those are like no one can argue how you feel like if you feel frustrated then like you're allowed that's to feel your that feeling way. like that's, that that is that's something that's real exactly and then when the thing happens you're not supposed to like accuse somebody like i'm not supposed to say hey steve when you do this i you know you cause this that's not what it's about it's about like uh kind of looking at the situation so it's not about the person it's about uh, it's about an action or circumstance. And then what that does is it helps remove the ego of the person you're coming to and helps them empathize with you because they, they now know how you feel and they now realize an action that, that maybe they don't even appreciate is is actually causing something. Yeah. And like, I know when I used that formula, it was like the only time. So my boss was from SoCal and I'm like an East Coaster. So like, I'm super direct. He's super not direct. And so like, I felt like I was speaking French to him sometimes, but when I used the nonviolent communication phrasing, it was like all of a sudden be like, Oh, I had no idea. And it would just like completely change the frame of the conversation simply by, like you said, separating out like, Hey, the, here's the feelings and the causes of it. Here's the facts, but then not letting kind of the emotions drive it to turn it into like an adversarial or an ego. Yeah, attack and I, I'm like such a huge fan of nonviolent communication, right? It's the it's OFNR, right? I think is the I, I don't it's not mm -hmm. a, an, an yeah. acronym you can pr pronounce, but it's observations, feelings, needs, like mm -hmm. what are the needs that you yep. that I have around this? And what's the request? Yeah. And, and make a very actionable yes. request. And I think it's great. And tying that back yeah. to unarguables, it's, you know, it's the body sensation that I'm having. When I heard you say mm -hmm. um, X, Y, Z, I had tightness in my chest. And the thought that I had was X. You can't argue that. Like that that's mm -hmm. the experience that I'm having right. when you showed up five minutes late to the meeting, right? When you showed up five minutes yeah. late to the meeting, um, I felt tightness in my chest and I was frustrated mm -hmm. and angry. Mm -hmm. And I thought that you don't know how to manage your calendar. Or I had the feeling that this meeting yep. doesn't really matter to you or wh whatever the thought could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great stuff. And so we're going to, we're going to put a bunch of stuff in the show notes to link you link you guys to this uh after the show so you can learn more about all these different um uh, different people and concepts and uh some of the books and stuff that we know are out there to help you with some of these and, concepts. and jason to the to, to the um, audience i just can't stress yeah. again i know that i kicked this off like it's a practice yeah. and sometimes the practice yeah. starts by you like writing it out literally just write it out Mm -hmm. It can also start by you using a voice recorder. We all have phones that we carry around in our pockets. Just record it, right? Write it out, record yep. it. These are all tools that start to help you build the muscles so that when you go and you have the conversation, doesn't mean that you're not going to have an emotional reaction to delivering bad news or uncomfortable feedback. But the more that you can do it and mm -hmm. practice before you actually get into that situation, the better prepared you'll be. 
Yeah, that's 100% true. We we have an earlier episode, actually, for those of you that may be watching this non-linearly. If you go back to our episode on feedback, you'll see that we have a, a model we teach you called the prepare, listen, act model. And everything uh, Steve just said there is all about the prepare model, which is if you take a little bit of time before you give feedback to a team member to actually prepare your thoughts in more detail, you're going to get a lot more clarity and be able to separate what are kind of the emotions and feelings this is causing for me and what are the facts um, and what maybe are the kind of story parts that you need to kind of step back from so that you can have a productive conversation with them. But the key thing to emphasize is a little bit of preparation beforehand can both give you confidence in the conversation and have it go a heck of a lot better. Yeah, yeah, I entirely recommend that. So another concept that like when we were jamming on what we could talk about today that I think is really important and I see come up on Twitter especially uh, quite a bit for leaders as well as founders is just this idea of imposter syndrome. Uh, and I think that like whether you're starting out as a leader or a founder, it's very easy to feel, feel a little bit like a fraud because there's so many things you have to do that are brand new, whether you are making that transition from IC to manager or you are making that trans transition from I'm an employee to I now run a business. There's just so many hats you have to wear. It is impossible to be great at all of them. Like only the most seasoned founders that have done it for years and done many companies could possibly feel like there's not a whole bunch of stuff to learn. So I'm curious, how do you define imposter syndrome and how can a leader know if they have it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, imposter syndrome occurs when we feel like a fraud, when we feel like our successes are undeserved. And we often convince ourselves that our success is based on luck, timing, or other factors outside of our control. And in, instead, the alternative is that we um, take responsibility for those successes, but sometimes it's, hey, like this is all out of my control. I don't deserve this. And we don't believe that we've mm -hmm. excelled or don't believe that we deserve the re rewards along with our success. And you know, it's this, it's this an internal experience that many of us uh, experience. In fact, when I was, um, when I've done some research, it's something to the effect of 70% of, of people and experience imposter syndrome. And it's, I think that the term was coined by some researchers in the late seventies around uh, women in the workforce and um, imposter mm -hmm. syndrome in, impacts everybody, regardless of socioeconomic status, gender, position in society. Um, but at, at, at the base, it's really this this uh, this feeling of being a fraud, being phony, um, and and feeling like you're going to be found out, and you don't belong uh, where you are, and that you only got there through dumb luck. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So what should a leader do when they feel imposter syndrome? Like how, how can you kind of overcome that? Since it turns out if we're all feeling imposter syndrome, maybe we're all not quite so much of imposters as that, you know, little voice in our head, uh, you know, maybe it's the devil on the shoulder in this case, uh, uh, is, is kind of planting that seed and we shouldn't let it grow. So what should a leader do if they feel imposter syndrome? You know, how can you, how can you make that kind of something that either you accept or move on from, or you don't let that voice get too loud? Yeah. For well, um, the first, you know, I'll, I'll go back to it, that, that exercise of uh, fact versus story. 
Um, you know, I, I encourage mm -hmm. I encourage those listening is to first question your stories and thoughts. Are they fact, right? And again, facts can be recorded by anything uh, that, that or anything that could be mm -hmm. recorded by a video camera. Um, and most of the time we'll discover that the things that we're telling ourselves are just stories. So I think that's definitely one. Mm -hmm. I think reframing your story by writing it down, right? Like using a good example, like, yes, I've been coaching for four years, um, but I still very much feel like a beginner. And, um, yeah. and, and that's not, I'm not just saying that. And sometimes I be, have to be able to just sit down and write. Like, okay, this is, this is, this is why I'm, I'm qualified to do this work. And actually, let me give you a, can I give you a perfect mm -hmm. example that recently came up, Jason? So I, yeah, Absolutely. yeah so I'm, uh, I'm working with a writing coach right now and she's been incredible. Uh, she's, she's an editor mm -hmm. as well. And, um, I, I wrote a draft for an article on meditation and why I believe every leader should meditate. Mm -hmm. And um, we had mm -hmm. a really solid, like an outline, first draft. And I went to her and I was like, I don't think I'm qualified to write this. <laughs> and she said, well, what do you mean? Like, why not? And I said, well, you know, I'm not like a meditation teacher. Like, and I came up with all these reasons why I didn't feel like I was qualified to write. And she said, okay, well let's talk about your own meditation practice. How long have you been meditating for? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Oh, well, you know, seven years. How frequently do you meditate daily? Um, how have you learned to meditate? Oh, well, I have this, I'm part of these communities. Um, I've read these books mm -hmm. and I, what started to happen was, is I, she helped me see just by saying it, by writing it out, like, oh, I actually am really qualified to write this for a whole bunch of reasons. And so I think going through that own exercise to do that. The other is and is to to understand that you've been put in that position for a reason. Someone sees something in you yeah. um, and start to ask yourself, mm -hmm. what are those reasons? You know, with founders, I always like to say, like, whether it's people have joined your team and your mission Right. They've decided out of mm -hmm. all the things that they could do right now, they've come to join you. So they see something in you. Right. What is that? Um, the mm -hmm. other aspect is um, around specifically with founders, like people have given you money. Right. People believe in your idea. Mm -hmm. And so it's, again, trying to help um, managers and founders in particular really understand, like help them see that, OK, like there is a reason why. I've had this success or I'm in this position. How are you really doing as a manager? What does your team think of you and how can you improve? These are common questions every good manager has, but if you don't find out the answers to them, you're not going to become the best manager you can be. Instead, you risk being blindsided by surprise turnover or secret frustrations your team has about you that you never even knew about. To become a great manager means investing in yourself. You need to build the right habits, measure how you're doing, and learn new skills to keep improving. That's why we built Lighthouse Pro. It includes everything you need to be a great leader, including 
our one-on-one software to help you build and keep the right habits to build great relationships with your team. Our manager score benchmarking survey that gives you anonymous feedback from your team on how you're really doing and how you can improve based on your score. And we give you access to our Lighthouse Lessons program to learn new skills you can immediately apply to your team to bring out their best. Getting access to Lighthouse Pro starts by signing up for a 21-day free trial of Lighthouse. You can see today how you can have better one-on-ones and much more that makes you a better manager at getlighthouse.com now. Yeah, that's that's great stuff. I know uh, it's funny when I started uh, Lighthouse seven years ago, I was like, who wants to listen to this 28 year old uh, talk about leadership and management? Like, what do I know? And so, like, to some extent, uh, I kind of papered over that by being like, okay, well, I'm not going to make the advice about me. I'm going to make the advice about all the people that I've learned from where, like, I feel like I just took advantage of information that was out there and maybe applied it faster than some other people may have. And so I was like, well, you know, I guess I'm not sharing this advice. This is what Andy Grove says, and Andy Grove's a legend. Um, and things like that uh, I found helped me sort of like it sounds like it helped you with the, uh, you know, thinking about all the places you actually were learning and 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 sourcing information about meditation made it so it's like actually taking stock of it. You're like, actually, I do know quite a bit about this and and can like share that same thing with others like i think you know when you talk about coaching and mentoring people i've done the same thing where you're like actually if you're even one step ahead of somebody you can add a lot of value and help it's so true and so true and 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 i and i think i i think like you know that's that's really important which is um it's always good to take a step back every now and then and be able to really list out like how how the progress that you've been making and sometimes it's hard to see until you really take that time or you have conversations with people that are a few steps behind you and i actually had this experience jason where i'm part of a community of coaches now where it's a, it's a nice. small group of eight of us almost like a forum uh which i recommend for everybody that's mm-hmm. listening to have a group But when we're asking each other for advice and situations come up, it's like I can come in and I'm like, oh, I actually know my shit because I'm now in a community with other like-minded professionals where where they're coming and we're Mm -hmm. all giving each other advice and feedback. And then it starts to be less scary that I don't know so much because I'm contributing, I'm taking away, and it becomes a symbiotic experience. Absolutely. I think like one of the kind of like sister brother kind of relationships to the imposter syndrome is then uh, the inner critic. And I think one of the things I know I had to learn in my career was that there is no one who is going to be as hard on me for the caliber of work I do and the things that I work on than myself. Like there are definitely times where I've had friends be like, this is great, Jason. And all I can see is like the five mistakes or like the five little things that I could have done better in it. So I'm curious, like what your thoughts are on maybe the, the, the pairing there of um, the inner critic and how maybe that contributes to imposter syndrome and like what to do with your inner critic, how to maybe uh, either turn the volume down a little bit on it or, you know, turn it into something where you only are using the productive parts Mm, of that? mm, It's a great question. So 
Um, there are different types of imposter syndrome, and one of them is the perfectionist. <laughs> and the perfectionist mm-hmm. yeah, is never satisfied, always feels that the work could be better. And rather than focusing on the strengths, they tend to fixate on the flaws and the mistakes. Um, and I think mm-hmm. I certainly can identify with that. I, I have a lot of perfectionist tendencies, I'm sure those in the audience also also do as well um i think this is i think i think the inner critic is is very much tied to to the to imposter syndrome you know there's all there's different words for the inner critic um shiraz shamid from uh, positive intelligence uses the judge but we all have it and um for me i think i what, what those of you might be listening might be surprised to hear this, but the founders that I work with and even some of the VCs that I work with who have been so successful have the strongest inner critics, like that are relentless. And, you know, I think first and foremost, part of the reason why we give the inner critic a name, whether it's the critic or um, I think right now I'm calling mine uh, with my conscious leadership group work Buster, right? I'm calling him Buster um, <laughs> because he just he busts nice. me all the time and is relentless. Um, and and the way nice. that we the way that we help leaders start to understand this is by giving it shape and form, giving it a name, placing mm-hmm. it outside of ourselves. And the the, the first is just awareness. Where, where, where is Buster mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call When am I, when, like, what are the things he or she is saying to me? Um, when does he mm-hmm. or she tend to, to come up into the city, like come up and, and really start to take over and begin to run the show? So I think like a big piece of it is awareness. Um, and totally. understanding what it wants. Does it want security? Does it want control? Does it want mm-hmm. approval? Um, like what's underneath that? And then I think once we can start to understand its tendencies, then we can begin to play with it and challenge the things that it's saying to us. Sometimes, by the way, like yeah. a critic, I wouldn't be nearly as successful as I am without it. So it's not a bad thing. Right. The yeah. key is how do you harness it for what it's great at and minimize mm-hmm. the damage that it can cause when it's not being productive. And that's the ninja move. And the yeah. ultimate the ultimate expert move is around having acceptance for yourself. Right. It's one thing, mm-hmm. you know, to me, one thing creating self-awareness. The, ne- the next level is creating self-acceptance, right? And accepting where you are, mm-hmm. who you are, how you show up. Because until you can accept yourself and this, this part of you, it's very, very hard. And, you know, the more you try to resist it and push it away, the stronger it ultimately becomes. Sorry, I went on a little bit of a tangent there, but uh, that's those are some of my thoughts. But it's... You know, it's 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 definitely something that I spend a lot of time coaching founders and investors on. Yeah, I think the inner critic is a great point. And 
I think the thing that's interesting about it is when you think about imposter syndrome, I think most people think of imposter syndrome as kind of a negative and it's something you kind of want to get rid of. But like you said, in the case of inner critic, one, it is definitely something that powers a lot of people's success. And two, it is definitely something to harness, like taking advantage of it. Like I know that when I am as a product manager evaluating designs and like trying to really uh, understand a customer in an efficient way, like having the inner critic come out is super helpful. The same is true when I'm editing a blog post for the Lighthouse blog. Like those are times the inner critic, hey, let's put you in the driver's seat. Let's let's make sure we edit this as best as possible. But then like not let it control the post product where you let it have you obsess over something that like you can no longer control. Or that, you know, in my case, one of the things that helped was once I started getting positive feedback from the world on it, I kind of used that as a way to tell the inner critic, like, hey, you're you know, you're helpful in setting a good high bar, but like you know, those last couple of details you don't need to obsess over because you can clearly see that people are responding well to the bar that, you know, the rest of me is like, no, nope, time to ship it. We can't obsess. We can't like spend more time mm -hmm. on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, something that one of the, the, the conscious leadership facilitator said to me, we were doing this coaching around uh, this, this long pattern that I've had around, um, establishing relationships with, uh, with men that are older than myself and then withdrawing mm -hmm. or feeling like I'm being abandoned <laughs> by them, uh, when their actions don't mm -hmm. meet my expectations. And, um, you know, mm -hmm. what, what she said is that look forward to, uh, being abandoned or to not having your expectations <laughs> met by older men, like look forward to it. And so, Using that with the inner critic, mm -hmm. like just look forward to them showing up and start to just tune into it. Mm -hmm. um, one, one thing that I do want to I, I, I don't want to digress too much, but one thing that I do want to note, because I think it's very prevalent, especially with leaders, managers, founders uh, in the, the, the era of social media is uh, comparison. Mm -hmm. Right. And comparing ourselves to others. <laughs> yes. Because I think like that's yeah. that um, that comparison fuels imposter syndrome. And if yeah. it, it, and, and if it's if it's comparison in envy versus like appreciation, it can be problematic and, and become a problem. And mm -hmm. um, what I would say is, you know, there, there's a lot of um, you know, there's a lot of amazing quotes around comparing yourself to others, right? Com comparison is an act of violence against the self. Uh, Ilyana <laughs> Vincent said that, and, you know, comparison is the thief of joy, the Theodore Roosevelt. And so, you know, what I would say is understand is the imposter syndrome being created by the, you comparing yourself to others. And I, one trick that I learned from a friend of mine is when you start to feel yourself comparing yourself to others and feeling bad about yourself, mm -hmm. actually, and I, I just said this a bit, yeah. it's like shift it into appreciation. Like, what is it that I appreciate mm -hmm. or what is it that they have that I want? Um, because then mm -hmm. you can start to decide how you like how you want to move forward. Like, is, is it what I appreciate that Jason has this incredible blog that he's so dedicated to writing every month and the level of depth and like really naming those appreciations. And then like, mm -hmm. is that what I'm like, 
is that in me? Do, like, do I want, I'm going to use the word, do I want to invest that time to now go and do that? Yeah. Is that a, now I can move from totally. being a victim, like, oh, I can't write a blog like that, to now being like, oh, how do I be, like, step into the creator's shoes? And so I'm, 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 I'm going down this tangent to see how you can get power as, as, as going from, you know, an imposter victim consciousness to how do I step into the creator and actually create, like, how do I grow? How do I evolve? How do I create something? Absolutely. Yeah. And I know, um, especially as I built lighthouse and went through a bunch of that because I would see various friends where their startups would take off like rocket ships and you know they'd have these amazing exits and like these great stories and uh you know there was a time where i definitely envied that a lot and and i had to shift that where um you know i was talking to one of my friends and they were basically like jason like i don't have that many friends that are that mm. successful like like that's a blessing and and like that just like that just like flipped it for me in a, an instant or I was like, wow, you know, th they're like, you know, if you emailed that person and asked a question, you wanted advice, would they, would they answer the email? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. They're like, dude, like, do you know how, do you know how lucky you are? And it was just like instantly like that, that ended up really helping me shift my mind. Like you said, reframe it to a positive where it's like, oh, I have all these people where like whatever challenge I face in my career, I know someone who's been there and done that and can help me. And it's also inspiring to say, hey, if they can do it, I know, you know, maybe it's not my time yet, but, you know, I, I can feel confident that it will eventually happen and I have the people around me who can help me rather than looking at like, oh, you know, woe is me, like, you know, why not me? Like, why is it not my turn? Like, what am I, what am I doing? You know, what am I doing wrong? Letting the inner critic beat me up over it. You know, I was able to reframe it to something where it's like good fortune and, and, and feeling very lucky and blessed to have all those kinds of people who I can, you know, source for help and call a friend. Mm. 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 Yeah. It's, um, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting dynamic that you point out with your, your own experience, Jason, which is when you, when you get, when you become more successful and then you start surrounding yourselves with people who are also successful, right. And your bars increasing. Yeah. And the people around yes. you, their bars increasing. Um, it, it, in <laughs> yeah. other words, it only gets more intense as you rise to yes. new levels of success, right? And mm -hmm. the, like the said a different way, right? Aristotle said something to the effect of like the more you know, the more you don't know, and the more successful you become, <laughs> you're like, wow, there's a lot, a lot that I don't know. And so, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think it's a very common tendency, especially among high performers. Um, it, it's, can, I actually want to tell one story. So I, I went on a retreat. Uh, this was sure. probably five years ago when I was still investing full time. I went on a retreat with probably a dozen or so uh, VCs. Uh, and there was one of mm -hmm. which was someone that I just absolutely looked up to that was on all of the, you know, the lists and, you know, just constantly in the media, just a really, really well-known investor. And I, he mm -hmm. and I got paired for this exercise where we had to go for a walk. 
And Mm -hmm. he opened up to me that he, even in that room, felt like he didn't belong. And here I am, like, (laughs) 10 years his junior, being like, oh, my God, this is a guy that I just, like, I just look up to so much. And he's telling me he doesn't even feel comfortable being in the room that weekend, which is, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a very common dynamic. Absolutely. Now, uh, now that we've talked a little bit about imposter syndrome, you know, I, I think we can understand how there are parts that maybe don't totally go away. Um, and so, especially when you hire or work with people who are more senior or more experienced in their responsibilities, how, how should you deal with that? Because I think it's something that, that you face, whether you are managing, you know, a team of indi- individual contributors and you hire a brilliant senior engineer that now you have to manage and they know way more about architecture than you, or you're a founder and there are literally just jobs that you haven't done before that you now need to hire somebody to do. And that person is going to be an expert in that area. So how do you handle working with people more senior and experienced and better at their job, frankly, than the person that's managing or leading mm-hmm. them? Yeah, and I think the first point that's worth worth underscoring, Jason, is that first, your job isn't to have all the answers and know how to do every job. That's why you're hiring someone. Mm -hmm. Um, Your job is to set the strategy and the goals and ensure that you have the resources and they have the resources to execute that strategy. Um, And it's on Mm -hmm. you to track your progress and ensure your team has what they yeah. need to succeed. So I think before we dive in, so yeah. it's, it's impossible to know how to do every job. It's impossible. And, and rem- right. remember, that's your job. Mm-hmm. Your job is to set the strategy and ensure everyone's set up for success. Um, secondly, mm-hmm. you have to remind yourself what got you here and what attributes and why you're in that position. You know, there's a reason. Yeah. And then I think there's a, a, a bunch of things that you can do that are more tactical, one mm-hmm. of which is, and I recommend this with all the founders I work with, is um, if you're going to hire a CFO and you know that you're going to hire a CFO in six months from now, just because it's on the roadmap, mm-hmm. in the coming months, go meet with CFOs of companies that you admire and respect. And mm-hmm. really start to understand the nature of their jobs, right? And uh, mm-hmm. not exactly what they're doing, but at this stage of the company where we're at, like, what is it that that I need to know about this specific role? So in some ways, it's doing homework before yeah. you're actually in the, in that role. Um, so I think that's 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 a big mm-hmm. that's a that's a that's one that I always recommend. The other is um, having peers around you that have been there, done that, mm-hmm. right? If you're a founder, having yeah. founders in your in your network um, that are often one or two steps ahead, I think is always, um, I think the other, the other thing is coaching, getting a coach, advisors, mentors yep. that you can work through some of this stuff with. And then I think just mm-hmm. having the reminder that there are countless founders who have stood in your shoes before, right? And, and that they've mm-hmm. progressed. But the reality is, is you're not going to know everything about every job. And then the key is yep. also asking for help, right? Like, hey, look, mm-hmm. um, you have all this experience. Um, what, what questions aren't I asking, right? And so 
going from mm -hmm. it being like, I need to know everything to how am I curious about the role, right? And in conscious leadership, mm -hmm. we talk about this, this idea of being above or below the line and being below the line is closed, defensive. I need to know everything about this role. If I don't know, if I'm not the expert, how are mm -hmm. they gonna trust me? To being open, curious, and committed to learning. And so I would mm -hmm. always say, just be curious, right? Like show up, ask questions, yes. be inquisitive, and really step into that. And admitting that yeah, you don't have all the answers doesn't make you a fraud, right? It, on the contrary, it yes. helps you start to define and solve problems more efficiently, creatively, and collaboratively. So I'm rambling, but yeah, I, I think absolutely. that those are just some immediate thoughts that I have. Yeah, so I think the curiosity is a big one. I, I think one of the things is certainly to recognize that you don't have all the answers and you should, like no one can be the expert on everything. And so like lean into that instead of letting it like bother you. And so like, I know I love it when we bring in somebody to the team and they know a lot more about something than I do. Cause it's like, Hey, let's use your expertise. You're going to add something new to what we already do or are capable of. And bringing that curiosity then is a great way, not just to prepare before. Like, I love that idea of like, if you're going to hire CFO, meet a bunch of CFOs first. Well, that'll help you understand what you like and don't and like, they'll help you see around corners and who you need to hire, but also bring that curiosity to the person you, you actually bring on. Like, I have found some of the best relationships I've built with people who are experts in something I'm not is to bring a curiosity where you're literally setting the stage that like, you may report to me, but I know you're the expert on this. I want you to teach me and I'm going to come to you as a source of knowledge for this area. And so instead of feeling like it's an elephant in the room, it actually becomes a strength because of that curiosity you're bringing that maybe helped you hire the right person in the beginning because you sought that curiosity out to other people like you suggested. But also when you actually have that person on your team, realizing that having some of that curiosity will both, frankly, make them feel good because, hey, I trust you in this area. I'm expecting you to be this, but also I want to learn from you. And it's okay for me to learn from you, even if I'm your boss, like recognizing that as a great way to kind of like strengthen that relationship instead of making it feel like one of you is exposed. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and also, you know, I hear a lot from founders where it's like, okay, well, I've never done this role before. How do I know, especially non-technical founders with, like, technical employees, yeah. like, how do I know they're doing a good job, right? And, and to yeah. me, I always come back to, okay, well, you know, you have specific goals and milestones for the company, mm -hmm. and you know, understanding, like, is there a gap between what the expectations were and what the actual performance was and really starting to yeah. uncover and unpack, like, if there's a gap, then why? And in some ways, the mm -hmm. curio going back to curiosity, a lot of it is around uncovering and asking questions and digging three, four, five layers below the surface. Yes. And I think one of the things that as like a new leader, you have to really appreciate is this idea of like, are you defining the outcomes you want your team to hit and like the goals? Or are you getting specific in like the how? And first of all, even if you are an expert in an area, you can really smother people if you like always are dictating how they do something. 
But if you're not an expert in an area and you try and get involved in the how, like especially when you talk with like an engineer, understanding what they're doing. Like I remember there was a point in time very early in my career where like some of our engineers loved playing ping pong, and we had an open office, so it was a really stupid design because the ping pong table was right out, right next to my desk, so I was literally sometimes getting ping pong shots hitting my hitting my desk while I was working. And so I was very aware of when engineers were like taking a break, and because I didn't appreciate yet how engineers worked, like. I was like, man, these guys play a lot of ping pong. Like, are they really working hard? And the I remember messaging the VP of engineering because we were like a 10-person company. So it was like, okay, to do that. And I just like asked them like, hey, like, you know, is everybody pulling their weight? Like, what's going on? I know I'm working like crazy, but like these guys are doing it. And he had to explain to me that like, hey, like when you're stuck on a hard problem as an engineer, one of the best things you can do is step away to think about it. And so like when he's playing ping pong, he's still really thinking about the problem. And – you know, he's fixing really hard issues. And so he has to have that kind of like interruption in his work. Um, but, you know, you need to appreciate that's how he actually works. And like the outcomes we need, you know, hey, that thing you spec'd out for the product, he was working on that. And that shipped and it shipped faster than I expected. Like, so like having that understanding that like if you dictate the outcome, you need to let them come up with their own how. Like you're gonna you're gonna be in a much better spot than if you think you need to have the specifics because you may not may, may not know them, um, or if you do, you know they may know a better way. I love that. I love that. Um. So so thinking specifically, like let's say you know one of our listeners here is, is thinking about like they have some people on their team that are more senior. What's like two or three things we could tell them to do? Uh, suggest they do that could help them maybe improve their relationship and how they're able to work and get the most from some of their more senior uh, team members who may have either a knowledge space that they know very little about or that is just something that person is clearly much better at. What are a couple things we could tell managers to do today that would help them with those relationships? Yeah, I think I, I think there's three that immediately come to mind, and we we touched on some of them, but. I'm just going to like mm-hmm. hit it, hit them quickly. The first is be open and curious yeah. rather than close and defensive. Um, I think is the first mm-hmm. one. Um, the second is question the stories uh, about yourself and the situation. Mm-hmm. And, um, yep. and, and to me that's, that's essential. And then the third is have some self acceptance and compassion for yourself. Mm-hmm. And for that first one, when you say be open and curious rather than close and defensive, you mean also with that that, that employee directly, yeah. correct? Yeah, of course. Hey, tell me about what, what your experience mm-hmm. was. How, what, yeah. how, how, how was cool. this project for you? What did you learn? Mm-hmm. What did you struggle with? What do you wish you had help with? What do you wish you had known before you started? I mean, there's a thousand questions you could ask he or she. Um, but you can just see like, once you get curious, it's like, oh, like, what am I going to learn? Yeah. So you're basically flipping it from like being something that you should worry about to something that you should be excited about and can embrace and, and, and create a great two-way relationship. Yeah. Like this, this, this founder that I was talking to yesterday that had this proposal that was supposed to go to this client day before vacation, he gets it and it's not up to his expectations and in that Mm -hmm. moment it could have been like oh well one question that immediately came to mind for me which is oh 
was there was there a disconnect between what he or she expected and what I expected? You know, what did you expect? Mm-hmm. Right? Just to just to understand, like, how was that for you? You know, where did you get? Absolutely. No, like, help me understand your process here. Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, so, you know, there are times you want to hire a veteran person for a role, potentially much better than you, or even something you've ever barely done. And so you've already mentioned the idea of like, talk to start talking to people six months before the hire. Are there other tactics you recommend for a leader when they're, when they're thinking about hiring some, someone for something they haven't done before? Um, I think that's the, that's the, that's the big one is get out, okay. get out into the street and, and talk to other people. If you have an investor, mm-hmm. um, or you, you have a board, I would engage with the board members, um, or heads of talent. If you have a head of talent and HR, like I would always, and you have counterparts there, um, that's also another mm-hmm. source. Um, but really, I, to me, it's getting out and really trying to understand the nature of the role, especially scoped to mm-hmm. what what your objectives are and your strategy is for the business or your, or your team. Mm-hmm. Stephen, I think those are some really great advice and points points to make specifically that people can take action today. You know, I think you can start thinking about being open and curious with your team starting the next time you have a one-on-one or you're meeting with any of those people, especially if they're senior leaders, you should question yourself. You know, you can take a minute, maybe when you take a break, uh, go for a walk or something and think about where the stories are for yourself. You know, that applies as much to imposter syndrome as it does your relationship with maybe some of the more experienced people on your team. And then obviously the self-acceptance and the compassion is a great way to quiet that inner critic as much as it is to really understand how imposter syndrome is part of your life. So I think those are three really great points of things that you can do today. So, Steve, I want to thank you for joining us today. This was an awesome conversation. One one more is don't be afraid to list uh, your accomplishments and all of the things that uh, you've done to get you to where you are today. Absolutely. That is a great way to build some gratitude for where you've been and where you're going. And on that note, I think we'll, we'll wrap up today's episode. Thank you again, Steve, for joining us. And uh, please check the show notes. We're going to include lots of links to books and blog posts and articles and other things that can help you go deeper on some of these subjects because we know how important they are, whether you are a founder or an individual contributor. So um, thank you, Stephen, for joining us. This has been the Creating High Performing Teams podcast, and we'll catch you next time.